You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? And if you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. So you've messed up and need to apologize to someone. It was an honest mistake. You feel terrible and you want to say sorry. How do you do that in a heartfelt, genuine way? A proper apology can quickly repair a relationship and lift the weight off the giver's shoulder. But a bad apology? That can be disastrous and lead to even more hurt. Between politicians, CEOs, and celebrities, we have seen our fair share of examples of those bad apologies where blame was shifted and responsibility wasn't taken. You know, kind of those apologies, but not really apologies. Luckily, we have Jonathan Miller, a communication coach, to share with us a framework and give us an example of a good apology. This is a replay from an episode way back in the vault, actually episode 15. So I'm guessing you haven't heard this one before, and it was too good not to resurface. Jonathan shares a ton of great insight on how to have mindful communication, like how to resolve conflict or how to compassionately deny an invite to a party. This episode is a great reminder that our words have impact. And if you're mindful of them, communication can be your superpower. If you're a listener of the show and you haven't left us a rating review, please, please, please stop right now and leave us one. We're trying to get to 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts before our 100th episode. But if you're new, nothing for you to do. Sit back, relax, and let's learn something new. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the rock climbing, meditating, and nomadic traveler, Jonathan Miller. Jonathan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into becoming a communication expert? So I, like you kind of said, that communication is really the name of the game for me. And it actually all started several years back in a 1984 GMC Vandura. And I don't know if you've seen one of these things, but it is this old school van with a pop top. It's got a little kitchenette inside of it. It's got a bed that turns into a table. My girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, so the story has a happy ending. We had always wanted to go on a big road trip. You know, saved up our money. We quit our jobs at one point and we went off on this trip. And the purpose of this trip was multifold. I mean, I was working this nine to five that I didn't really like that much. I knew that I wanted some space to think about what it is that I wanted to do with my life. And also deeper down, I wanted to get to know this person that I might spend the rest of my life with a little Mm -hmm. bit better. You know, we were living together for a year But when you're living together, you're still spending 40 plus hours a week away from each other. So all in all, we had a strong relationship, but there was something inside me that wanted to just confirm that. And I remember the day that we left, it was nighttime. And I remember that because we were so eager to leave. Staying with my mom, she begged us to just stay one more night. We could leave fresh in the morning. And we were like, no, we have to go. So we left and we were so excited. I can't even tell you. Like a whole year trip, we were just about to embark on around national parks and 
rock climbing and national forests and cool cities. And that excitement lasted for about three days. Because when you put two full-size adults in a space smaller than a jail cell, you get up into each other's personal space, right? Mm -hmm. And it really came to, in this particular scenario, Laura, my partner, was frying up some vegetables. I was sitting there chopping up things. And at one point I said to Laura, hey, can you pass me that potato? And she snapped at me. She said, I'm doing something right now. Can't you see? And I was like, whoa. And I was taken aback. And she was also taken aback. She didn't know where that came from either. And the thing is, is that had actually happened a few times. This was a pattern now. I don't remember what happened the first couple of times. I may have got defensive. I may have just let it go. But this time we were both like, whoa, what happened? And so over dinner, we started really breaking down the scenario, what actually had happened in that moment. And what we discovered was something very interesting that was happening in the background. Laura had grown up with just her and her mom. And the name of the game was Wait Your Turn at her house. And so she grew up in this world of be patient and wait your turn. I, on the other hand, grew up, there was three kids. And if you didn't say what you needed to have done, I mean, you weren't getting it done. So it was very much about making yourself heard when you wanted to have something done for you. So when I said, pass the potato, what she heard was stop what you're doing and get me that potato immediately. And what I meant to say, was whenever you have a moment, can you please pass me the potato? But what was said was, hey, can you pass me the potato? So you can see how the communication had a bunch of different meanings attached to it. And we uncovered that. So we came up with this game plan. I was going to be more specific. I was going to say things like when you have a moment, when it's not urgent. Usually, you know, I was living in a van. Most things aren't urgent. I was going to say when you have a moment pass me this thing, do this, do that. And she was going to partner with me. She was going to cut me some slack. She was going to ask me if I needed it now or not. And the problem completely disappeared. And so I was like, whoa, there is something about this communication stuff. And that's when I got you know, unemployed, living in a van. I got deep into doing a lot of reading and practicing. I was practicing with my wife, heard her feelings many times, bless her. And I was this weird guy at the campsites, you know, talking to people in these funny ways because I was so keen on practicing these systems of communication to see what really worked and didn't work. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't work. And what I came out with at the end is a profound understanding of how we communicate with one another and also what makes really great relationships, not just with my partner, but because when I got home and I started taking these communication skills and practicing with my friends and my family, I also saw those relationships start to shift as well. And that's when I knew that this was going to be something that I spend a long time, maybe even the rest of my life working on. And that's kind of what really brewed my interest in communication. Totally makes sense. That's an interesting way to come about this and, and really fascinating with my partner too. We have to define terms a lot as well. We were just talking about something yesterday, actually, in terms of quality time, you know, one of the, the five love languages I'm assuming you're familiar with. And we've been having a breakdown with quality time because for her, quality time meant proximity. So whenever she heard me say, 
hey, I really need some quality time. She thought I needed to be around him versus me, what quality time really means is engagement. So us watching TV together while she works on emails right by my side isn't quality time, where for her, she thought that was quality time. But for me, I had to have that conversation the same way you did with with your partner. This is where we're both at. This is where it's coming from. Here's the breakdown and analyzing that breakdown. So do you, so you currently work as a coach. Is this the kind of conversations that you're having on a day-to-day basis? How do, what does your coaching business look like? Every client that I have is constantly challenged with something a little bit different. That's the funny thing about communication is, although there are patterns that underlie a lot of these things that can be similar, it just seems so different with every single context. And what I do in my programs is I'm really coaching and training as well in a way that allows people to really have incredible communication skills under any circumstances. Sometimes people are avoiding conversations and they already know what they want to say and how they want to say it. They're just avoiding it. They need maybe a little push or they just need to talk it out, reason themselves into it. I don't even need to say a word sometimes. They just go, I know I need to have this conversation. I can tell already. (laughs) And other times they're really at a loss and they're not sure how to approach some of these tough conversations, right? But I do love your example of how those nuances can come into play and it can happen all the time and it can happen out of nowhere. And it's developing the habits that stop those, and it sounds like you stopped it pretty quickly, but to stop those, as soon as you notice that tension building, it's a flag you say, hey, something's going on here. And you can dive deep into it and have the tools to be able to really distinguish right away what assumptions are at play, what beliefs are at play, and actually be able to manage that conversation, minimize that conflict, and actually turn it into really this opportunity where now it's clear between the both of you that quality time for you means actual engagement. And now she gets to, out of you know how much I'm assuming she loves you, she gets to really engage with you as that quality time. When you're making that request, she's going to be with you, be present with you. And it just creates a better relationship for both of you. Does mm. that fully answer your question? Because I, I think there was a few different ones in there. No, no, I, th- I think that does make sense. For me, what I'm hearing and what I'm getting out from it is it's not necessarily the words that you're using in the conversation. Because once again, if, if you're coaching or, or training someone or helping people think about every word that they're going to say in each conversation, you're going to have to have hundreds and hundreds of conversations with them anytime conflict comes into play, but more so how they want to show up in that conversation or what they do whenever there is a breakdown. I really love this quote that I saw in an email from you. you. You said, communication isn't the case of what's right or wrong. It's simply what works and doesn't work. And I thought that was really powerful there. I really like that. What do you mean by that? We have thoughts all the time, and those thoughts turn into communication. And that is a huge part of communication, is actually better understanding our thoughts and our mindset. Now, when we actually take a look at our thoughts, we get a clearer picture of what they actually are. They're thoughts I see synonymous with a lot of different things. Thoughts can take the form of judgments. They can take the form of assessments. 
interpretations, perceptions, all that kind of stuff. And the idea of good and bad, I'm going to invite you and our listeners to consider is just a human concept. It's something that we as humans invented. It does not exist in nature. When a sun explodes, it is not a good or a bad thing. It just is. When the cheetah chases a gazelle and doesn't catch the gazelle, it doesn't call itself a failure and think, oh, that's bad. It just walks along. However, we as humans have deemed things good or bad according to what it is that we want or what it is that we don't want. Now, when it comes to our communication, what I mean by that statement is that there is no right or wrong way to communicate things. That is a human concept. To say that there's a right or wrong way to do thing and state that like it's a fact, like it's the truth with a capital T, is simply inaccurate. It is not an objective observation. That is an interpretation, an assessment, a judgment. And there's nothing wrong with that either. That's just what it is. It's not actually based in reality. And so what I like to think of is I like to move away from morality, especially when it comes to communication, but many things in life. I move away from the morality of things being good or bad and really look at things in terms of their workability. Now, workability is a different world. There's things that work and there's things that don't work. There's things that work for some people and there's things that don't work for other people. And I would like to find workability for everyone. If your style of communication has a lot of yelling and aggression, it's not a bad way to communicate. It probably just isn't working that well for you. It creates tension in relationships and moves people away from you. And it's not very likely to often get what you want in the long run. Maybe in the short run, it works really well as a strategy. Now, that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. We're talking about whether or not it works for you. If it works for you, you can keep doing it. I'm not going to communicate with you. I'm not going to associate with you. But I'm willing to bet that there are other ways that work even better. And I'm going to invite anyone to take those communication skills on. And those are the communication skills, habits, mindsets, ways of being that I'm interested in. So I think you're dancing around or defining your concept of mindful communication here. So I'd love to illustrate a little bit of what you think mindful communication is with an example or a story I heard you say about Facebook, actually. You talked about accepting a Facebook event. Could you tell that story and, and maybe tie that into mindful communication? Absolutely. And let's preface that with actually a little discovery about what exactly mindful communication looks like. And I'll actually pose this question to you, Justin. Sure. The question is, where did you learn how to speak English, assuming that English is your first language? Mm -hmm. I'm assuming my parents. Yeah. That makes sense. That's where also where I mostly learn how to speak English. And where do you think your parents learned how to speak English? I'm going to guess whoever raised them. Yeah, probably. Maybe society, TV, whatever yeah. it is. But mostly it's hereditary. It's, it's inherited. It's passed down from generation to generation. And often when it comes to these things that are passed down, 
when they're just inherited, we do not give a lot of thought to them. And so most of our communication from that sense is unconscious and unintentional. We just communicate the way we communicate. We blame people because we see other people blaming people. We yell and we show aggression toward each other and we communicate in unhelpful ways because that's just what we see around us. It's not intentional. In fact, it's unintentional. It's unconscious. And when we really stop to look at the way that we're communicating, we can actually see that quite clearly. And that's the example that we alluded to. And I'll tell the story and I'll really want us to dive into the consequences of this kind of language. So the idea is that there was this Facebook event of this party that I was thinking about going to and I wasn't sure. I accepted it, I think at one point, but I knew I didn't want to go. I'm from Toronto, Canada. I was living just north of the city at the time and it was, it was such a schlep to go down. I had to like drive 40 minutes, see a few people that I know, a bunch of people that I didn't know. I don't know if I was really up for it. And so when I went to change my status to like, I don't want to go and just let the organizer know, what I saw was this word, can't go. And I was really taken back by this word because I could go. That's just the fact. I had a car. I had the time. I had a little bit of desire. I could go. But I can't go for me suggests the fact that I am physically unable to go. Like I am in another country. I can't go. I am too far away. You know, I have no way to get there. I can't go. But that's not the case. It was that I didn't want to go or I was choosing not to go, or it just didn't work for my schedule to go, any of those alternatives would have been more accurate and more honest than can't go. This idea of can't go is classic, and this is just one of the distinctions that I work with with my clients, is this idea of denying responsibility through our language. We're denying responsibility for the fact that we can indeed go and we're choosing not to. We're denying the fact that we indeed have a choice. And when we don't have choice, that means we're a victim to circumstances. I know people don't like to hear that, but that's what's so. When you are not in control of your circumstances, when you are at the effect of them, you're a victim. That's what it is. And again, there's nothing wrong or bad about it. It's just a way that you're thinking, a way that someone is thinking and being And it's probably not going to work very well for you in terms of creating the life that you really want to live. So that's kind of the example that we're talking about just in terms of this Facebook event. And how that relates to the unconscious thinking is that we're doing this all the time everywhere. And can't go. I mean, you know, before we're having this conversation, someone might be listening and hadn't even thought twice about it. So that's kind of that story around Facebook and this idea of bringing more mindfulness to our communication and recognizing the true impact of our words when we speak because our words shape our reality. Our words shape our world. And so when we take responsibility for those words, we get to create the world that we want. I've been in this situation plenty of times. I think probably everybody listening, I'm assuming, has been in a situation where they are physically capable of going somewhere, 
yet they just don't want to. It's really, really hard. As I get older, I want to be authentic and true to myself when telling people like, hey, I, I really don't feel like going. I want to spend some time relaxing or I want to I want to use my time in a different way. I really appreciate the invite though. I, I don't know. Is there a better way to approach that? Like, how do you tell someone maybe in a respectful way without offending them that, that you quote, quote, can't go? <laughs> That's a really great question. And I do have a few suggestions that you could use. The first section and like the number one way, and this is what I say all the time, is going back to that workability thing. It just doesn't work for me to go. I love saying that because I don't know, there's, there's a workability aspect to it. It doesn't work for me to go. Why it doesn't work? No one seems to ever be curious, but I know it just doesn't work for me to go. It doesn't because I, I feel tired or I, yeah. I just, I don't want to slip down. Whatever it is, it doesn't work for what it is that I'm up to in my life. It doesn't work. Now, if you want to be really powerful, then I would just tell people that you don't want to go or I love the way that you put it right there is... Honestly, I really just want to spend some time at home relaxing. That's just what I would prefer to do with my time at this point. The reason that people might be afraid of that is because of how the others might react to that. Like if I went up to you, Justin, you invited me to a party. Like honestly, Justin, there's just something I'd rather do with my time. You're possibly, not guaranteed, but it's probable that you're going to go off and make a bunch of meaning about what I said, like, oh, I don't like you or, oh, I think your party is lame or whatever it is. I didn't say any of those things. What I said is I would rather use my time in a different way. Like we were talking about rock climbing before we got on this podcast. I would rather go to the rock climbing gym because I haven't been there all week. But instead I say, I'd rather do something else with my time. That's what I mean because I have a competition coming. I don't know, whatever it is, right? You get in the gist is people do end up making meaning of things. And that's why I like to stick with the workability thing. It doesn't work for me to go. And I love your example as well that I would recommend to our listeners is just saying something like, yeah, I just really need some time to take care of myself. It's been a long week and I really want to take care of that. That's, that's a need of mine that needs to be met right now. Definitely. Yeah, and I found that as I be authentic or transparent with my friends, they give me that same transparency back in the future. Because the worst thing ever is like organizing a dinner or something and somebody's like, yeah, I think I can, I'll I'll make it, I'll be there. And then two hours before they text me and say, hey, I can't make it anymore. When, you know, maybe three or four days ago, they knew they couldn't make it and that causes disasters for plans or whatever it may be. And I appreciate that I'm getting to a place now with a, a, a subset of my friends, not everybody. It's really challenging, I think, to be transparent with a lot of people. But a subset of my friends that are like, hey, man, like, I'm tired today. <laughs> I'm not going to come unless, you, unless this really means something to you. Let me know. If not, let's take a hall pass on something like this. And I think the root of this, why people might be afraid to do this often, is the word conflict. And something you and researching you that you really changed my perspective on is you said that conflict is neutral. It's actually the outcomes of conflict that are good or bad. And you gave these two outcomes. It's drama or creativity. Could you talk on on these two and, and what you mean by that? So the idea is that we generally see conflict as a bad thing. When in fact, conflict is just a normal and natural phenomenon and is going to happen in every relationship. As long as you're a human being, 
and you're interacting with another person, you're going to experience conflict. Conflict in and of itself is not necessarily inherently bad. It's that neutral that you talked about, right? Talk to any remarried couple, right? Maybe your mom or dad is remarried or you you know someone who's remarried. Ask them if they thought their conflict of that first divorce was a good thing or a bad thing. I'm willing to bet a lot of them think it was a really great thing because it allowed them to create this new relationship that they're definitely enjoying much more. Well, hopefully they're enjoying much more. (laughs) But you get what I'm trying to say is that there's something good that came out of that conflict. And the same thing comes at a more macro levels as well, right? You know, right now we're recording this is July, 2020. There's a lot of talk around Black Lives Matter. I mean, talking about the civil rights movement, if there wasn't that conflict there, pushback against the status quo, rights would not have been granted. And this conflict now that at least our podcast host, Justin and I shared that we would like to see some positive change coming from this conflict. Although there's a lot of tension and it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people, our hope is that this leads to real systematic change, right? So we have here some clear examples on both a micro and macro level that conflict can actually be like a really good thing. It can be a motor for change. And so it's not conflict itself that's a bad thing. It's actually what we end up doing with this conflict. And that's where this spectrum comes in of creativity versus drama. What we typically associate conflict with is the drama. That's what we've kind of collapsed those two things together. When in fact, there's also that creativity. And I want to give an example of how this works. And I think, Justin, if you've done your research, you obviously heard this story, but our listeners have not. I'm originally from Toronto, but I'm currently living in Cape Town, South Africa. And when I got here, there was a lot to take in. You can imagine any transition is difficult for humans. Nonetheless, moving to a new country on a new continent. Thank goodness they speak English here. And there was a lot to navigate. I was running a business at the time. My my wife's running a business. We are looking for apartments to rent. We're navigating the grocery store. We're looking at our physical regimen. How do we keep in touch with friends and family? Just so many things on our minds. So it caused a little bit of tension. And that tension manifested in my relationship with my partner, Laura. We noticed it pretty quickly. We're both well-practiced communicators. And we said, okay, whoa, something is going on right now. We're getting you know, at each other. Let's stop and figure out what this is. So we put some time aside, got to the bottom of it. Turns out we were not really coordinating our schedules well. It was really obvious. You know, she would have a call and then I would have a call and we couldn't spend time together. And then we'd have a call at the same time and it didn't work because we didn't have the space to have calls at the same time. And what we ended up creating was a new system where we would check in every day in the morning and just check who's going to call when, what space do you need? Are we going to eat dinner together or not? Just managing those expectations. And that worked wonderfully. And it worked so well that now it's six months later, we still do that. And I've recommended this system to many couples and everyone's like, wow, wow, that's a really great idea. I'm going to put that in as well. It's, it's good. And so from that conflict emerged this new creative solution that I can't see myself living without. And instead of creating that drama in our relationship, we created that creativity. Now, I'm not going to give an example of drama. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners have experienced that. I know I have experienced plenty of that in my life, and I'm going to continue experiencing that with lots of people in my life. 
And that's why it's a spectrum. We just want to move it as much toward those creative solutions as possible, as much toward creating collaboration, creating compromise, creating some sort of accommodations where it needs to be, rather than moving into our fight or flight responses of silence or violence. Those typically are not helpful for the relationships that matter most to us. We want to stick to more cooperative forms of managing conflict. So it's just a simple check-in, five to 10 minutes in the morning? That's it, five to 10 minutes. And frankly, while we do that, I mean, to be completely honest, we're we're kind of cuddling a bit. We're doing a little cuddling, so it's (laughs) nice. We're in each other's arms. We're looking at our calendars. It's a very nice time. Gets us connected, gets us set up for the day. Interesting. Whenever you first brought up that conflict uh, with the, the calendars and the space that you had, how did you approach that? I mean, you, you mentioned that you guys are both skilled communicators, so I'm sure it's a little bit easier. But if I have a listener out there that a light bulb might have just went off, like, hey, I'm creating a lot of drama with my conflict. Maybe I need to reshift this and think about how I can use it as creativity or some creative energy and come up with a solution, create a partnership here, not somebody that I'm competing against. How can you broach that conversation? What, what could be simple words to bring that problem up or that conflict up and, and create it into creative energy? So before we dive into what words we're going to use, one thing that you said, and I want our listeners to really get how powerful this is, is creating the right context, creating the right mindset for this kind of conversation. And the word that you used is partnership. And that is a powerful mindset that I would actually call the partnership mindset. And the partnership mindset is always asking the question, how can I partner with this person? How is this person already my partner and there's something in the way from us being partners? Now, this is a very easy when you're dealing with maybe your, your spouse or your boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever friend. It's more challenging when you're in the workplace where there's people that you don't really like, you don't really get along with. That said, try on this mindset because it is very powerful. How is this person, how can I partner with this person? How can I create an ally from this person? How is this person actually looking to work with me and I'm getting in the way of working with them? So with that partnership mindset, what I naturally think about going into a conversation is I'm very direct with my communication. So I say like, hey, something is not working. There's that workability word, right? Something's not working here. There's tension, there's da-da-da. Now for our listeners, maybe what I would do is whenever I'm starting a potentially difficult conversation, there's a few things that we do. First up, you want to set the stage for the conversation. Now, this can be a conversation that you're going to have right now, or it could be like, setting up like, hey, I want to eventually have a conversation, which is what we ended up doing, right? We said, hey, this is not working. Like, let's book some time and actually have this conversation. Regardless, the same kind of prep is going to happen. The first thing you're going to do is approach this person. And what you want to make sure of is you're not doing this in a public place. You want to do this in private. These are private affairs, especially where feedback is potentially involved. I mean, feedback can get real personal and there's some real identity stuff that goes on there. So have a private place that can look like booking a meeting room at work or just going into your bedroom if you share a house with somebody. 
make sure you're in a place where it's just you two and you can have a private conversation and be open with each other. The second thing you want to do is you want to make sure you have enough time for this conversation. Don't do the hit and run. Don't do like 10 minutes before they need to head out the door. Hey, I want to have this really serious conversation with you, right? Yeah, you know how it goes. So you want to actually set the time aside. So if it takes an hour, no problem. Make sure you have that hour. It may take longer than that. A lot of these conversations don't necessarily get resolved in one conversation. It's often multiple conversations that get you to where it is that you want to be, right? So make sure to set the time aside. Now, the way that you want to approach the conversation is one thing to remember as much as possible is to make your intentions as clear as possible. As human beings, we care deeply about intentions. We care very much about what other people are thinking. And the function of our brain, our brain is constantly scanning for threats. And even if you and I, Justin, are like looking right at each other, I actually have no idea what it is that you're thinking. I could be an inch from your forehead and have no idea what's going on in there. And my brain is trying to figure it out. It's inferring meaning to the way that you're looking and your body language and your words that you're saying. So by making those as clear as possible, you're going to reduce defensiveness, reduce the amount of tension. I liken it to anytime you go into a meeting. I don't know if this is a thing that normally happens in workplaces. I know this is what I do is I set an agenda for a meeting. Hey, this is what I want to talk about during the meeting. And this is the ideal outcome is that we have a plan around this thing. That's what I do with these conversations. I say, hey, I want to talk to you about I've been noticing some tension and I want to get to the bottom. I want to partner with you to get to the bottom of why it's happening so that we can come up with a solution to make sure this doesn't happen anymore. Are you game? Does that work for you? When do you want to have this conversation? Can we have it right now? Let's take 30 minutes to hash it out. I want to hear your thoughts about it too. I don't want to make sure that I'm just telling you what it is, right? So those are just some starting points in terms of starting that more difficult conversation that will go a long way to having a successful conversation. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. A lot of great things there, both from an intimate relationship, family and friends, and in the workplace. I thought you kind of gave a great perspective of how you could approach many of those situations, depending on how close or how little you might know a certain person that you're having conflict with. I like that we are talking about how to creatively solve some of these conflicts, but what happens when things go wrong? Whenever we have conflict, it turns into drama. That's misused energy, using your words there. And there's some unnecessary suffering and some wounds that came out of a conversation. I want to talk about apologizing now because this is one of the biggest takeaways I had from you whenever I was doing some research. So can you define a regular apology versus a powerful apology? And then can we get into how to give a powerful apology? The other week, I was supposed to be on a podcast with this woman. And I had straight up told this person, yeah, I've got it in my calendar. No problem. I'll see you there 10 a.m. on this day. And it was not in my calendar. I messed up. and. I didn't realize that I had messed up until days later. It must have been three or four days when I remember sitting there and going, didn't I have a podcast with this woman? I, I, when is this thing? And I look it up and I'm like, oh my God, I missed it. It uh, happened four, four days ago. 
and I didn't hear anything from this person. And I didn't chime in, obviously. And so whether this podcast was going to happen or not, I knew that as a matter of my word, I want to make sure to clean up this mess that I obviously created. So I sent her a message and I I love video messages for that reason, sending voice messages and video messages because text can be very, there's a lot of context missing. So I sent her a message that went something, I'm just going to make it up now because I don't remember exactly what I said, but it went something along the lines of, hey, I said that I would be on your podcast at this time on this date and I didn't do that. And admittedly, I'm a little bit embarrassed and ultimately, I'm sure you were left a little confused and clueless as to why I would agree to come on a podcast and not show up. And I'd actually love for you to let me know what the impact was on you over on your side over there. Anyway, I do want to apologize and I would love to still be on your podcast. And I want to tell you that I promise you that this will not happen again. And that was my apology. So let's break that down exactly what I did there that was different from what you would normally hear in terms of an apology. Now, if I did a regular apology, here's what it might have sounded like. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know what? I thought I put it in my calendar and I totally didn't. And it was like four days later and I looked and I'm like, I totally missed this person's podcast. I can't even believe it. I'm so, 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 so sorry. Are you still open for me coming back on the podcast? End of apology. So let's break down what the difference between these two things are. First up, you can say, I'm sorry. You know, it's an expected thing. We say, I'm sorry, I apologize, whatever it is you want to say. That's cool. Now, there are some few key differences that happened. The first thing is that you'll hear in the second apology, a lot of excuses and reasons and all that kind of world of storytelling that no one really cares about. If you think about an apology that you've gotten before, maybe think of a time where you were really, really hurt, Justin. I mean, did you really care all about all the reasons about why they didn't do what it is that they did? Not at all. Yeah, you were hurt. That was your main focus. And I get it. You know, this one was probably pretty peeved. Like I just like didn't show up to a podcast at all. I completely ghosted this woman. So she's probably like a little, you know, pissed off. And so I get it. But she does not care about what my reasons and considerations around it are. So I just skip that. And in the powerful apology, I just talk about what happened in reality. I said that I would be there on this day at 10 a.m. and I didn't show up. That's it. That's all that happened. Now, maybe I had in some fl- a flavor of like, yeah, I'm, I'm embarrassed and blah, blah, blah. She, she doesn't care about that either, by the way. What she cares about is the fact that then I do the second piece, which is the single most impactful piece of the apology, is that I actually ask her what the impact was on her. I say, what was that like for you for me to not show up to this thing? That really is what creates a powerful apology because then the apology stops being about me and it actually starts being about her. So the communication stops being about putting me in the spotlight and I actually focus on the fact that she is hurt. She is embarrassed. She is frustrated, whatever it is. 
But in the regular apology, I don't even bother with that. I just make a bunch of excuses and then hope that everything will go better. This is kind of the typical pattern, right? You make a mistake. And then what you do is you do this thing called clarifying your intentions. They go, oh, well, you know, I didn't mean to do that. Da, 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 da. And now that I've explained it, now you should feel better. No, you're, you're kind of passing over a whole section of this. So the powerful apology actually addresses that. And then the last part that I love to add in is that commitment. Now that commitment can look all sorts of ways. And in this case, I just said, I promise that won't happen again. Nice, simple commitment. I'm just going to promise that won't happen again. I'm just going to be my word and make sure it doesn't happen. Believe me, it's in my calendar this time. It's not happening again. But the other one doesn't make any sort of commitment, doesn't make anything, you know, next time I'm going to set my alarm 15 minutes before the thing to make sure it's on time. Or next time I'm going to check in with you a day before just to make sure that we're on, to make sure that this is going to happen, whatever it is. So powerful apology has the commitment. So to recap, you give the apology, you say you're sorry, then you say, what's so? No stories. Just talk about the observable objective facts. You ask them what the impact on them was. And then you make a commitment. You make a promise. And I promise you, this will be super weird. It will be weird the first time. I get it. This is part of this unconscious communication. It's because nobody communicates like this. Everyone just goes around saying sorry, giving a bunch of excuses. Again, there's nothing wrong with a regular apology. I regular apologize all the time. You just want to ask yourself, what's going to work best? What's going to get me the best results, the best communication across? Is it going to be a regular apology or am I going to give a powerful apology? How freaking good was that? That was such a good breakdown. That is going to be my challenge from this. Even through that example that you were giving, I was like biting my tongue not to say like, oh, I thought I had it in my calendar. Oh my gosh, I'm really sorry. I, that would be so hard for me not to try to bring my intention into the apology. I'm really going to try this and I'll let you know how it goes. You know, I'll probably test it on my partner. I shouldn't say test. I'll use it with my partner. But yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's interesting because I learned a little bit of that too. I can't remember where I, I learned this, but we look through life in the lens of our intention, but other people's actions. Like whenever you're late to something, it's, I hit traffic. Traffic's usually not like this. I got a phone call right before I walked out the door, which made me five minutes late. And I couldn't find a parking spot where if someone else shows up to something of yours, you know, 15 minutes late, automatic assumption is you didn't leave on time. I told blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I, I think that's really challenging to do for most people. And what I take away most from that is perspective. It's coming out of your own self-perspective and going into somebody else's perspective, even knowing, you know, asking the question, how did that affect you? That's clearly you thinking about their perspective in that situation versus saying, you know, what you did wrong in the situation and pulling in your perspective. So I want to talk about perspective a little bit because I think this is probably the keys to the kingdom in terms of mindful communication is being able to bring on somebody else's perspective. So how do you consciously look or how do you think about somebody else's perspective? And maybe it would help to share your analogy with the, the shoe store, trying on a shoe at, at the shoe store. I heard that from you and I thought that's what really clicked with me in terms of perspective. There are as many perspectives on the planet as there are people on the planet, right? <laughs> 
And going into this realm of morality, there's no perspective that is right or wrong. I want you to consider that we as human beings, we cannot access the truth with a capital T. It's impossible because we are subjective creatures and we naturally have a subjective lens. And so this idea that your truth is more right than someone else's truth is simply false. And this is a perspective that I'm offering. So you can say that I'm wrong as well. But can take on this perspective that we all have different perspectives and there's real power in really being able to expand your perspective to take in other people's perspectives. And so Justin, what you're referring to is this example of how to take on a perspective. And the way that you take on a perspective is that you actually hold the perspective to be true for a time. And the example that I give is this idea of putting on a pair of shoes at the store and trying them on. So you go to the shoe store, you find that, oh, those new, I don't know, Nikes that you've been dying to get a hold of. This is not a promo for Nike, by the way. <laughs> you, you find those shoes that you've been dying to try on. You go to the clerk, they go to the back, they get you your size, you try them on. And you do that little test drive. You walk around, check them out in the mirror. And then you have a choice. You can either walk out of the store with them or you put them back and move on with your life, right? And that's you trying on a perspective. Think about like you're trying it on. And if it serves you and if it works for you, you can walk out the store with them. It's perfect. And if it doesn't, you put them in the box and you go away. One place that this has really come up for me lately is around this race stuff. Because there is a community, the BIPOC community, that has been telling me and a lot of people that there is an oppressive system called white supremacy. And, you know, I'm a white man. I don't really see this system. I never even thought about this like system. I never heard of it. So I couldn't see it. And they have a perspective and their perspective is like, no, actually it's a thing and you can't see it. And so what I did is I did the work of looking at these unconscious biases that I held around race. And I tried on this perspective. I learned terms like white exceptionalism and colorblindness and allyship and white fragility and all these kind of terms. And when I actually try them on, like I hold them to be true, I start to see what it is that they're seeing. And all of a sudden, this new perspective becomes available to me. And it's completely shifted the way that I look at the world. And those perspective shifts are incredibly valued because it expands my perspective. It has me be more compassionate towards others because I can step into their perspectives. And it's interesting because in that specific scenario, it challenged some of my existing perspectives. Of course, my existing perspectives comes from a white supremacist lens, but at the end of the day, it did challenge. I hold certain things to be true. And listening to some of these perspectives were completely contradictory to the ones that I held. And yet by doing this work, by trying it on, I have actually come to a point where I can hold both to be true and can reconcile the two. And what that allows me to do is it allows me to be there with the BIPOC community, taking actions of allyship and continuing the anti-racist work. And I can also hold my truth to be true around 
really being responsible, about not being a victim, about these other truths that have worked well for me in my life that I want to share as part of my perspective. So I'm kind of going on a bit of a tangent here. Please. But to kind of wrap up, this is truly a superpower, is to understand that one has a perspective, that you have your perspective and that I have my perspective. And a point of view is just a point of view. That's all it is. And one can take on someone else's point of view by just taking it on. Try it on. See how it fits with your truths. Really try it on. And then again, if it's not serving you, put it away. And if it is serving you, then take it on. You have this whole new perspective, this whole new way to look at the world. That is, that is some juicy, juicy stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great place to end. Thank you for sharing that, Jonathan. I think you wrapped up the episode well. Lots of great tangibles in this episode, reframing conflict as creative energy, how to give a powerful apology, which I challenge everyone to give it a go at least once this week, and how to try on someone else's perspective. Lots of really great things here, Jonathan. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the episode. As always, I appreciate your kind words. If you want to leave us a rating and review on your podcast player right now, that would absolutely make my day. If you want to find episode show notes, our blog, and other great resources, head over to tsirpodcast.com. If you have follow-up questions, an idea for a future episode, or just want to say hi, we have a contact form on our website and those messages go straight into my inbox and I promise you, I will reply. But all right, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in. I love you all and you're not alone. Let's keep making it through our struggles together.